Hello, everyone. You're tuned in to the EO Inspire podcast series. We call it Pour Out What's Special because we pour our guests their favorite drink and they pour out their passions for us. Every entrepreneur has their story to tell, and we're here to listen and learn from their experiences. Okay. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. What are we drinking? Lagavulin 16. Of course. That's what, you said, that's what you said you, was your drink of choice, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, so Marvin, um, thank you for being here. Of course. We're obviously doing this podcast, and the objective of the podcast is to inspire EO core values, not just internally, but also externally, because they're good core values. Of course. So those core values are trust and respect, thirst for learning, be bold, make, leave your mark, which is what you're here for. Together we grow, and then cool. Cool was removed from global, but yeah, it was. It, it was. makes for a good podcast yeah, discussion. It's sad. It's sad. And I think it's, it's important for the Philippines. So of course. We're doing that. So I, uh, we have you here, obviously, for be bold, leave your mark. Uh, I've known you for about what, two, one year, two years, two almost two years. Two I think. years. We joined EO about the same yep, time. Yep, yep. I would define you as being a very bold person, <laughs> in a good way, in all the best ways possible. So I think that you're Thank perfect you. for this. Thank you. And uh, we want to get to know more about you, but we also want to get to know about like, your business. And sure. So I think a good place to start is kind of giving us like, the story of Mega. For those of you who don't know, Marvin is now, what, what do you call Other than owner, you're the chief innovation chief officer. Chief growth and development officer. It's very different from any other position in the world. So Is there an acronym for that? Is it CIO? CDGO. CDGO. Well, okay. in other companies, they can quote their marketing director transitioned into the chief growth officer. Hmm. But I'm not only in marketing. I'm in sales, marketing, HR, and other departments. So I'm the chief growth and development officer. Oh, man. Officer. Including HR. HR, admin, ICT, and... It's a family business, yeah, so you got to pick up slack wherever Dude, you have to wear slack every, is needed. You have to wear every hat if yeah, you're a family you gotta business. you got to pick up slack wherever slack is needed. Right? Very cool. And how long have you been in that post for? I think around a year. A year. A year. July was my July 2020 uh, 20 last year, so and, almost and, a year. And prior to that, were you working for the company? Yes, I was. I was a VP for sales and marketing, specifically only for sales and marketing. So uh-huh. we had an HR lead and everything like that, so... Everything else was uh, not managed by the siblings. Ah, okay. So you've been doing that for a year now. Yep. And uh, you obviously, your siblings are also involved in the business too. Two of my siblings, yes. Malcolm and Michelle, yeah. Uh, okay, so we know kind of more about you. Did you, have, by the way, did you have a job, like a prior experience yeah, prior yeah, yeah. to when, when joining I, the company? When I graduated in 2010. Uh, did you study here or did you study abroad? I studied here for college and high school. I studied in Canada for grade school. So when I graduated in 2010, I worked for SM as a management trainee. Really? Yeah, that was a trip, man. I mean, like, I worked there for a year. Then they're brutal there. They, yeah. they work you hard. I was working um, six days a week without Saturdays and Sundays, meaning Damn. I had to go to the mall Saturdays and Sundays, and all the holidays had to be in the mall. Wait, what does that mean? Like, as a management, uh, management trainee, like, did you have a store assigned to you or something? Yeah, I was assigned eventually in MOA. Okay. So that's a pretty cool mall to be assigned That's like the most in. important yeah. one. So them. I was yeah. a tenant relations officer. I had to deal with all the tenants and all their blueprints. And it was pretty fun, but it was tiring. It's like a uh, 10 to 7 job yeah. every day, even Sundays. So I had to pick whether I would get off of Christmas or get off of New Year, which is 
you know, it really brought me down to the roots of the working class, which yeah. is good because I, I felt that hard work really paid off. Definitely, yeah. dude. Is that like, because uh, like some family constitutions, which I know you have, we talked about it, they require you to have experience before joining the family Well, at company. that time, 2010, it, it wasn't required of me. I just knew I, I really wanted to do it and I really had to do it for me, yeah. myself, professionally. And of course, I didn't want to come into my business acting like I was a boss. That yeah. was something I really, really did not want. Yeah. I did not want that stigma that if I got in, I'm like, uh, this guy's just there because he's the son of the owner. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, so, you know, I had to prove myself that I was capable of doing something outside. However, it was short, yeah. a year, <laughs> and that was actually a uh, two-and-a-half-year contract. Yeah. Uh, which, after a year, I said, I have to stop because I had my own business on the side. Yeah. So I had to focus on my business. So it was a bond. There was a bond with SM. I told them I'll pay the bond. They didn't accept it. I... I for that whole year, I did not touch my salary. I was like saving my salary to pay the bond. And I told them, okay, this is everything I've gotten from you for a year. All my training. I did not touch any peso off of this. You can have it as my willingness to pay the bond. Wow. And they didn't accept it. They didn't accept Wait, it. Wait, so how does that work? Like, because of your contract, you want them to be able to leave earlier. So you're willing to yeah, pay well, out It's everything? a management training program. So ah. they invest in you, train you, send you all, all over the place. And... Yeah, so but it wasn't about the compensation to you. It was about getting the experience. Not at all. I, I did not touch my... <laughs> also the discipline yeah. too, right? Like yeah. you're forced to like work. work yeah, so I was, you know, I was there 9.58 a.m. every single day. Time in, exactly the right time. By around 3 p.m., I would be done with my work. I'd focus on my AutoCAD work and all that. Ah, so you were also an entrepreneur during this time Yes, already. yes. I would have three screens. Jeez. <laughs> so you're like, we're already a serial entrepreneur even before taking a corporate job. I don't think it was a serial entrepreneur. I was selling laptops in the back of my car. Laptop kid. <laughs> so I would sell them in uh, the parking lot of SM Moa. So wow. we were... You were like, uh, I was bringing laptops to my work, and if I had breaks, I would like meet up with a client yeah. and show them the laptop in the back of my car, count the money. You know, if you do that nowadays, you get like, uh, yeah, you get in trouble. Oh my gosh, so that, it was a very efficient day for you. You were, you were, you were not hustling, but you were balancing. Yeah, because the work business. in SM is more of, um, you don't really use a lot of your mind. You use a lot of your brute force. I mean, like, you have to be there physically, inspect physically. Yeah. You have to be more st strategic. Definitely. So. Okay, so how about um, once you join the family company? I'm sure your family was happy about that. You have this year of a corporate experience. You have your side business, too. Mm. You have AutoKid already at that point? Yeah, well, I, I didn't join the family business yet after I left SM. Ah, you did it. So I left SM 2011. I joined uh, the family business 2014. So I had two or three years on my own. Ah, what so were you doing? So setting up the business with my partner, Kevin and Eric, um, it was AutoKid. So we were selling cars from Kevin's front yard. <laughs> so we started with two cars, eventually became four, became eight, became 12. Uh, it didn't fit in his front yard anymore, so we had to uh, we had to rent a property that yeah. was bigger. So we put up a dealership, we branded it. So eventually expanded and expanded. We yeah. started with uh, three employees in October 11, 2011. Uh, 
then now we're uh, approaching 500 plus employees Jeez. and 16 branches now. But and that's not even your main focus. I mean, you're obviously more focused on the, the oh, family yeah, business. Oh, yeah, definitely now. But that was all my partners. I was just there for like, you know, and you uh, were guidance. You and were all. there for how many years before you I was there. I, I started it with Kevin. That, that's where I really felt that, you know, entrepreneurship. I yeah. mean, like, you're starting from nothing. You're, you're trying to get investors. Our opening date was uh, October, right? So we only had like 12, 15 cars. Our showroom was meant for 50 cars. I had to borrow my mom's car, <laughs> my aunt's car, everyone's car, just to make sure that our showroom was filled. Jeez. So that was a good experience. How, how old were you at this point? 2011, 10 years ago, I was like um, 30, uh, 23, 22. Okay. 22. Okay, then eventually what made you, if that business was doing well, what made you finally give in and join the family well, empire? I always knew I had to join the family business because I'm the youngest of five. Were you right? pressured to join? No, not really. Not really. Um, they said that, yes, we needed help. And it just so happened that my brother Mark um, moved to Canada, or was moving to Canada, and I had to integrate myself to fill in his shoes. So. Did he like train you and backfill you as he was leaving, or did he already leave by the time he you got did. there? Did not, not the training I expected. I was just like thrown in. Yeah. I was just thrown in. That was a culture shock for Baptism me. Baptism by fire. Culture shock. I mean, like I came from SM, super professional. Yeah, training program. Yeah. I came from an entrepreneur, my, my own business that I had all decisions made by me. And I came into Mega. When I came into Mega, I was a salesman. Yeah. I was a, a sari sari store salesman. That was my first job. Dude, that's I had awesome. to sell sardines to Sari Sari stores. It's so hard palat, to sell goods to Sari Sari stores. You're like stores. a van salesman? I was for three months. Dude, that's, that's awesome. So I was talking to people. I was you know, knowing what they were feeling, how hard it was, how hot it was. So we had to visit 40 Sari Sari stores per day. Jeez. And only out of that 40, we'd probably get 25, 28 productive calls, which are, you know, they would buy three, six, eight sardines. Yeah. You know, three, six, eight, thirteen, that's a hundred pesos yeah. per call. But you had to do that. You had, you had to develop that relationship with the owners of the Sari Sari stores. And once they see you coming every other week, because it's F2, right? You yeah. only visit the twice Sari Sari stores F2. twice a month. So once they see you, they build that rapport with you. Oh, they, they call you Mega. That's it. Oh, yeah. Mega, Mega, I'll buy from you again. Do they know that you were the owner of the no, company? No, 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 they did not. They no, they never knew. They did not. The distributor knew yeah. and probably told the people to put special attention to me. But You know, P&G has that same process. Like any, any position at P&G, you need to start as a van salesman. Yep. Yep. Were you just booking orders or were you also delivering? Booking and delivering. So and we delivering. had the um, stocks in the back. So I was extra. Yeah. So we had the, if you order, mm -hmm. we would deliver it to you. So it depends on the area. There are book today, deliver tomorrow yeah. schemes, but we were extra, so we would deliver it immediately. So you were doing that for like a few months, and then at what point did you take a position of like leadership at that oh, point? Oh, uh, another six to eight months. Because I, I went up to develop to be the uh, channel development officer, which is. Um, taking care of the distributor, making sure that their numbers are intact, because that's a progression. You start out, you start out as a um, DSP, yeah. a distributor salesperson, then you go up to... Yeah, so after CEO. Sorry Sorry, you have a distributor that serves like a, like a gen trade account, right? Mm -hmm. So this is after you've moved out of Sorry Sorry, now you're working with like a distributor. Mm -hmm. So you're managing a regional distributor like that? Uh, regional, yeah. So in uh, Rizal, there are distributor until now. And then now. after that, did you take over the entire region? Like that was that the progression? 
No, not well known. I actually skip a point after that. I went into marketing. Part of the management trainee philosophy I had in me. I went into marketing, learned about that. Went into finance, learned about that. SEM, learned about that. So I kind of got grasp of every single facet of the business, but yeah. I always gravitated towards sales and marketing. Yeah. Always. I love being there in the field and with the people, you know, seeing the people buy your products, talking to the people, why they buy it. That's and, great. You know, my dad, classic. Every time we were in the supermarket, he would go straight to the sardine section and stay there for the whole time yeah. we were in the supermarket. Dude. Me and my mom Just would like buy junk dad. food yeah, and yeah. frozen stuff. My dad would stay in the sardine section and sell sardines to people. Dude, that's awesome. That's the way it should be. He's like, you're, you're carrying another brand? You should try this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was my dad. Yeah. And that's how I learned from, from that. And yeah. that's what I did as well in the trade. I think like the best like founders and leaders, they do, for FMCG at least, they, they understand the importance of field work. They're willing to like roll up their sleeves, get dirty. I remember I just did field work with my dad all over Luzon. And we would do the same thing. Like we would talk to like if they had a competitor's yeah. product in the basket, like you have to approach them and tell them, okay. You, you have to know the psyche. Exactly. Why are you buying that? Yeah. This is more fresh or this is better. Yeah. But you would also need to know why are they buying that so that you can address that issue for your brand. Yeah. But okay. So let's talk more about uh, that concept. But, but that's only one touch point. When you are in how many stores now? Probably a million stores between all the Sari Sari stores. Well, there's 1.2 million Sari Sari stores today. We're 60% uh, distributed there, so around 600,000. So you can't be in all of them. So you can't. Well, lucky me, a very famous brand is in 80%. Monisinus? Yeah, 80, 83%. Coke is probably in almost a lot of stores. Probably all of them. Uh, The point I'm making is you, you can't get. Like all of, you can't make all your decisions based on where you are physically because there's just too many stores that you yeah. guys are listed in. So one of the things I really admire about you is that you have so, you, you, you're so data forward. Like you, you, you value collecting data and making decisions based on that. And I feel like if you're like an old school businessman, at least my dad, like so much of it is gut feel yeah. versus like, I don't care what the data tells me. I went to a store yeah. and this one person told me something. Was it ever hard for you to get your family to the first generation to be willing to invest money in market research and all those studies? It was, it was. I mean, like market research is ridiculously expensive. Yeah, like it's super FGD expensive. would cost 150 grand and yeah. all that. But eventually we started with one, you know, grew it to two, grew it to three and it, it paid off. I mean, like um, our, I'm an advocate of market research. You can always do good and do well with research and data. Like yeah. getting Nielsen, getting um, an Excel file would cost 4 million pesos. <laughs> yeah, an crazy. Excel file. 4 million pesos it's for crazy. an Excel file. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's the data you need to save like 40 million pesos. Yeah, well, right? that's the idea to make the right decisions. And then there's also like uh, sometimes when I do bring like data to the first gen, they can interpret the same data and have a, a completely opposite That's why you decision. get professionals to present instead of you. So the professionals will tell you like what to do afterwards? I mean, yeah. But if, then my dad says this. It's a nice quote. He said, if they were so good at market research, they wouldn't be in the business of giving you market research because they already know how to make people consume no, products. No, no. Profe- in my point of view, professionals are there because that's what they've been doing their whole lives. You mean professionals within your company? Not professionals. Consultants. Oh, consultants. consultants. So we have a lot of consultants. I think we have eight consultants. You believe in consultants? Super, super, super. Because it helps us um, 
direct the way the business goes yeah. from a third party point of view. And they've been there, done that. A lot of our consultants come from PNG. Yeah. So global, they've been there, done that multiple times. So is it really the same though? Like, isn't there also a feeling that's like no one knows your brand better than you do? And you have this guy from Boston Consulting comes in and tells you what to do. Well, Boston Consulting is such a high level. No, I'm just like, saying, okay, yeah, in general. That. But like, uh, how, like how long well, do they get to know slowly, the brand right? for? You gotta, we started with one consultant, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And it's always the acceptance of the family members to that consultant. If yeah. we feel that he's not jived with us, we wouldn't get him or we would let him out. But if we feel that he's contributing, and the consultants are very, very cool. They don't force themselves. Yeah. They, they're super smart. Yeah. They know how to you know, pattern it in a way. And beauty about it is like, you know, if I have to ask my dad to do this, I'll just ask the consultant to help me ask my dad. Because yeah. if it's coming from me, my dad's going to think that, it's only my ideas, yeah, yeah. but... It's know. like uh, there's more credibility if it comes from exactly. a professional consultant exactly. like that. And I believe in that. I mean, consultants are the way to go. Not only are they affordable, but right, consultants... Debatable. Well, it's expensive, not really dude. affordable, but, you know, these consultants that we have are of age. They're 50, 60, 70. They don't do it for the money. They do it for the purpose. They do it for being with a company that does this and, you yeah. know... They, they want to do it. They don't do it for the money. When you bring like a consultant on board, do you almost treat them as if they're like an employee? They are family. They are a family. family. They are family. So we had a board meeting a while ago. So we sent them all food. So we would cry with them. And, you really? know, they are family. They are family. How long are these projects typically with a consultant that comes on board? Well, six months contract. So yeah. but most of our consultants renew indefinitely. Oh, so they st your consultants are like kind of stay long term like yeah that. My, my main consultant for marketing is uh sir manolo escueta he's a big png guy he used to be the vp for png huh. so he was the one who taught me how to do the market research and how to think of things take a step back yeah. and analyze your brand and make a brand strategy and you know so you're really like professionalizing i guess like the family company to the best of your extent of your abilities by yes well engaging experts i guess I think the shortcut to it is to get consultants. Because if you get professionals immediately without getting consultants... How do you know if they're good? <laughs> professionals would always look out for their jobs, right? Would always want to, you know, peacock and spend, spend, spend. And if things goes, shit goes to the fan, they fucking ah, resign, right? Yeah. So consultants are there to tame things, right? So, so the incentives are more aligned if you're yeah. a consultant versus you're just like already taking a position of yeah, authority. Yeah. So we've gotten consultants. Now we're in the process of filling all the professionals in. Okay. There's a lot I want to go into with that. But before I do, because we're getting really into your business, <laughs> yeah. can we talk more about like, I mean, like, uh, your brand awareness is probably very high. Everyone knows what Mega Mega Global Corp is. They know your brand, but can you tell us like the history of the company? Okay, you're, you're a second gen. So your father started yeah. it, right? So I'm a second gen. So yeah. I'm the youngest of five siblings. So my father and mother started it in 1972. They weren't married yet, and my fa my mom's business was really into fishing, right? So my dad was an engineer. Their family had a um, department store in uh, Rizal Street, but it closed down because of the building of LRT. I think they were like two, three stores down SM. Oh, okay. So they were selling shoes as well. It was called Edison Supermarket. So they were okay, man. But my dad really was an entrepreneur ever since he was a kid. He was selling exotic fish, stamps to his uh, classmates. So he was, he was really an entrepreneur by heart. 
So they started in 1972 when um, martial law was up and coming. My oh, dad man. was in UP. He didn't finish college because everything they did in UP was strike. Right? Yeah. And, uh, at that time, it was like strike every day. So it was like, forget it. I did not want to participate in strikes. So he was like, okay, um, I'm going to loan from my father. Like, this was my dad. He loaned, like, I think, 300 grand to buy a boat from um, another person. And he knew that his girlfriend, my mom, was in the fishing business. And he saw that fishing business had so many inefficiencies in the way they catch, in the way they turn over, in the way they you know, field their... You know, where, where was this, by the way? Navotas. In Navotas. Navotas. Okay. So okay. that was their base. So in 1972, they started. 1975, they officially incorporated. And that was subsequently their wedding as really? well. So um, whatever their wedding anniversary is, is our company anniversary. So uh, the first company was called Wilmar. William Wilmar. and Marilyn. Okay. So very, very Hybrid creative. Hybrid of names. Very creative. So they started with one boat. My dad didn't know anything about fishing. How should I have the capital for the boat? Uh, he had the, the other businesses that could fund it. Yeah, well, his dad owned a uh, department store, right? Oh, yeah. So he right, loaned from his dad. Okay, got it. So he loaned 300,000 pesos from his dad, bought a boat. Bought his first boat. Went out to the sea. He was there for three weeks. He was puking every day for three weeks, man. I can't imagine, dude. Three weeks. That was his message to so many stories. that He was puking for three weeks and eventually got used to it. And it's hard. It's, of course. It was really hard then. So um, they got used to it. Then they started bringing in fish to Novota, selling all the galungongs and everything like that. Then they started growing. But fishing is a very tricky business. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. You can be losing two years in a row. You can be, depends. Fishing, you never know where the fish is. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not like the fields. It's not like rice yeah. that you can harvest and, you know. Fish is godsend. You never know where they are, climate change or whatever that is, whatever technology you use. You yeah. won't know if there's fish. Like, for example, this year, there's not a lot of fish. Yeah. 1977 was when was my, uh, my eldest brother was born. So they got him out. They were doing okay. I think they brought him up until four or five ships already. Then I think 1982, my uh, brother Mark, they had no money to bring him out of the hospital. Wow, why? But you had five boats already, I thought. Because all the money was Because tied in up 1981, with... there was a storm. This is a pivotal moment in my dad's life. There was a storm. He had four boats, four fleets of boats. Uh, when you say a fleet of boat, you have like a sonar boat, a catcher boat, a carrier and all that. Okay. So he had four fleets. So one of the fleet was in dry dock getting repairs uh, in the Votas. So it happens because you always have to repair the boats. Three of the fleets was in Masbate. That's where they fish for galungong or other species. Mm -hmm. And there was a storm coming. So the storm said that it would approach the route of Masbate. So they took cover in a different area. And of course, back then, the um, situation for, with technology and weather predictions wasn't accurate. Mm -hmm. So they took cover in an area where they thought it, would save, it was safe. Apparently, it wasn't. It was a direct hit on the three of the boats that sank. Oh my gosh. We lost around 20 fishermen, I think, that time. It was very sad. Very lives. Sad. 20 lives. Oh my gosh. So apparently, they thought they were safe there, but Storms came in, then... This is within the first how many years of your dad buying his first boat? Not even 10 years. Jeez. So he wiped out 75% of his fleet. From that storm? Yep. And he started from scratch again then. 
And he was like, he wanted to give up. He was like, are we going to do this? He talked to his people. Are we going to do this? We, we don't have anything anymore. Our other boat is still in dry dock. We, we don't have money to repair it. And also, he asked help from some friends. And his people was like, boss, we've been here from the start. We will continue this until we you know, finish it. So oh, he derived that strength from his people ever since then. And, and I think that's how he got that malasakit. Uh, value in him now because uh, his people showed him malasakit before to continue the business even if they weren't going to be paid on time and all that and they believed in him because he always wanted to bring innovation into the fishing industry yeah. even before even if he, were, he was young he wanted to bring innovation from when in. he saw the inefficiencies like you yeah. said yeah, yeah. so on that theme of like being bold and leaving your mark it sounds like it was already bold for your dad to go out and just say, you know, there's inefficiencies, I'm going to get a boat. Yeah. But then secondly, there was this massive storm that wiped out, you know, all of this fleet. Exactly, all exactly. Of it. And your dad still said, you know, I'm still going to pursue this dream and go for it again, despite yep. the adversity. And that, that was the time my brother Mark was born. They had no money to bring him out of the hospital, so he oh, had to okay. ask money from his brothers and sisters because, you know, uh, fishing is a tricky business. Okay, so we were just talking about uh, about marketing, about how it shifted, how it's starting to shift more towards um, towards digital than traditional advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, do you do you foresee yourself ever like like is your digital campaign to get conversion like? Because you know how you have this like con- customer consumer journey, mm. and it's like it starts with awareness. And for a brand like you, your point of conversion is not necessarily going to be online. In fact, no. it's most likely going to be in a store. So, like, sometimes uh, companies are trying to figure out, like, well, how much should I invest in, like, the objective of conversion versus brand awareness versus engagement? Is your, most of your digital efforts focus on just brand awareness? No, no, no. Of course, it's, um, brand awareness is key. Number one is key. But it depends on the maturity of your brand, right? Mega... It's a bit more mature, so brand awareness is there. Everyone knows about Mega, even though you don't partake of Mega. Let's say everyone knows your favorite brand of whiskey, but you don't partake of that whiskey, it, yeah. right? So it's about converting that person. So that's where in the different um, aspects of social media come into play. You, you either give them promos, give them user-generated content, which I'm a big fan of, you know? Yeah. If you do promos or, or if you do contests of things and people submit it and you know most likes and everything like that so after your brand is aware should you be shifting your focus more towards engagement moving down that consumer journey towards conversion i would believe so because the more the more engagement you have with your brand and more sticks to the people's mindset right and the more brand equity you build and it's cheaper and you just have to give cash gifts you don't have to pay a big agency to do a big campaign, you just have to give like raffles. Yeah. Raffles are a big thing. Yeah. Look at James Deacon, he raffles a dash cam and look how many likes and comments it gets, right? Yeah. And that's a dash cam, dash cam's 20 grand. But if you're going to do that for TVC, that's probably like 2 million. Oh, wait, that would be a lot, yeah. So there are things to, you know. The landscape is changing. That's the point I think I'm making. It's like, it's, sometimes it gets hard to keep up. Like before I know it, like, I'm going to be the one that doesn't understand what's going on in social media. Trust me, 
Wait, are you TikTok? on TikTok? Are you on TikTok? No. I mean either. I do not understand, but we're investing a lot in TikTok. Because it's apparently going to overtake Netflix in terms of like viewership. I don't know. It's insane. That's why we have to hire millennials and zillennials to I, do it. I think right? they're the future, right? I still don't get TikTok. I don't really know how to I don't use get it. it. I don't get it. Have you ever well. tried making a TikTok video? No. Yet? Heck no. <laughs> I tried. I don't know. There's a stigma, but no. Have you ever gotten no, no, sucked no. into like a TikTok feed? Because it sucks you in, dude. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I did not. Like, I did not. What the hell was I just watching? Like, I just wasted an hour looking at the most random dances that mean nothing. So imagine us at our age, we're feeling that way. Imagine our patriarch or our fathers who built the company feeling about TikTok and whatever it is down the line. Yeah. And imagine what else is there down the line, right? I know, dude. That's so how do you connect that? I don't know. That's the point. That, that, I think that's the hard part of marketing because the landscape is changing so much. Yeah. Okay, um, on the topic of uh, marketing, obviously you had to change a lot of your strategy because of this pandemic, right? So first, how did the pandemic affect your business? And then maybe after you answer that, we can talk about what strategies you took in order to like overcome and adopt the new normal. Well, number one, Chris, is like the pandemic last year was a huge success for our business. It started March, right? Yeah. March, I just came from London Business School, from EO. Yeah. Uh, growth strategy, super awesome course, man. So when I got back, pandemic hit. Then um, we activated ourselves. Like me, my sister, my brother, the whole family activated ourselves to accept orders from LGUs. And it was just so high time that March was the start of the fishing season. Mm. And fishing season for 2020 was great absolutely fantastic that's why in 2021 it's not so fishing goes up and down like what yeah, I was like you're saying last year was great and that was good because in the pandemic when there was ECQ everyone needed Ayuda yeah. we were there for them so that's how we got a 3% increase in market share in a year jeez because we we were the ones giving Ayudas to everyone that's why you saw you, saw, you would see so many memes of mega sardines yeah. and everything like that because we were there personally to make sure that our logistics, we, I think we had times three the sales for a month. Jeez, our logistics was that. capable of moving all that around. Yeah. And we were just lucky that pandemic hit in the start of the fishing season. If that hit November, yeah. uh, we would be in a different story right now. It's like a double whammy. You, the supply was there and the demand was there. Yeah. But didn't your other like, competitors have the same thing? I mean, isn't that... The they weren't thing? as quick as us. They weren't as quick as us. We were activating our phones. Mayors would call us, asking us for thousands of orders. Yeah. And they didn't care about the price. We were the most expensive sardines because yeah. we have that quality and we have that process. They didn't care. They just wanted it next day. Yeah. And that's what we provided. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's so awesome. we took advantage of that situation. And after that, other brands took advantage. But, but you were the first mover. First mover and the ones who... You know, and what about from a marketing perspective? Obviously, there's less people. Everyone driving. tried our. Everyone tried our sardines. No, I mean, like in terms of advertising, like our, uh, if less people are on the streets, do you still invest in billboards the same way you would? And oh, well, no, we no we more billboards. Uh, we didn't advertise at that time anymore because it was uh, word of mouth advertising. I mean, like, if you try our product, I'm sure you're probably not gonna go back to the competitor because oh, of the freshness, because like of that. That's every product we do is always like that. If you taste our product, I'm sure you're not going to go back to that. I taste your products. They're wonderful. So product first. Do you really believe that? You have to have a... Product, innovation, taste, and quality. Yeah. That's why our tuna, 
100% pure tuna. No, no extenders at all because we yeah. want to give you the freshest taste of tuna. It's really nice too. It's in this like really nice oil. Like, yeah. It's just really good. I just had it recently. It's easy for me to get because you're distributed everywhere. Okay, very cool. So we covered, um, I think we covered a lot of the themes of like being bold and leaving your mark, especially in the story of uh, your family company. Thank you for sharing that. Dude. Thank that you. was really, really interesting. And I think we also covered it with you too, about what you had to do coming in uh, to the company. So I appreciate you also sharing that. I think if we were going to end this, I would, I would like to ask one last question, if that's cool. Shoot. How, how long has it been? I think we still have time, right? What time is it? Okay. So a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in, in uh, EO are like family businesses. Mm -hmm. And I love talking to family business owners. You're second gen, I am too. That seem to make it work. So like how... Um, if you were just to say, like, how, how were you guys able to make that work? How was your dad able to transfer those values of all of ex those experiences over to the next generation? And Training. how will you transfer it to the third so they don't squander it? Training. Training. My dad trained us young. Training. I seem yeah. like... Yeah, from the bottom too, right? Like, from van salesman all the way to... Ever since we were kids, all of us were in the offices... And I hated my dad for that. He would bring me to the office every single day. I would miss out on camps. I would miss out on my summer school. I would miss out on everything. I hated him for that. But I was just there, sitting down in his meetings, listening to it. I freaking hated it. But eventually, when I grew up, when I got into college, that hatred and that, you know, when I was talking business, it came common yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And I loved talking about business because I was so exposed to it. Yeah. So I think it's the training of your children. If you train them young, you know, he was kind of authoritative that you can only do this, you can only do this. But you were there. I was, That's the point. couldn't do anything because yeah. we had to respect him and we were disciplined by him. He's a disciplinarian. So I, I guess it's all about the discipline and making sure that they are there. But he was busy with his work, right? Yeah. Particularly with my... Uh, brothers and sisters older than me. I probably had the most attention out of all. That's really? why they hate me. Bunso. <laughs> no, Bunso. Yeah, yeah. So I had the most attention out of all because that's the most time he had out of all. And right now, he's enjoying his time with my kids the most because he has so much time now. Yeah. So for me, it's all about the training. If you want to train your kids to be not like you, but better than you, yeah. start them young, get that mindset in. Yeah. And... From us right now, we have different skills. My sister's um, very authoritative, very numbers-focused, very detailed, very management -skill. She's the next CEO. My brother's an engineer. He, he knows how to work the engines. Yeah. He knows how to keep the fleet up. We have the biggest fleet in the Philippines. We have 88 vessels. So he knows how to do that. I know how to market. Yeah. I'm a salesperson. It sounds like it worked out perfectly. I don't know how. But, <laughs> you know, it just fell into place. They, I don't think they trained us to be like, oh, you be talkative, you be thinker, you be a controller. They yeah. didn't. Maybe it wasn't so much the training as much as it was just spending the time with the next generation. It's probably at their generation. When they were doing the business, that's what my sister felt. Yeah. When my brother was growing up and they were doing that business, that's what my brother felt, that there was improvements in engineering. And when I grew up, 2000s, that's what I felt. Sales and marketing, sales yeah. and 
Probably. So good, dude. Probably, probably, probably. Ah, that's the only time I express it now, but it does make a point, right? Oh, yeah, very, very, very good. Uh, last question will go. Um, what about, because some people are watching this, maybe they're not in EO, and they aspire to be like a successful business person like yourself. Maybe they're going to be that first gen like your dad was or my dad was. What advice would you give to like an aspiring want-to-be entrepreneur that maybe doesn't have the capital or doesn't think it's possible for them to be business owners? What would you tell them? The same thing that we've done in Orchid. We did not have capital even before. I mean, like, Orchid is a capital-intensive business. Yeah, we have to the, sell trucks that are 3 million pesos each. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask money from other people. I mean, don't be afraid to give up your equity yeah. so that you can have that money to expand. Don't be greedy. Yeah. Like, an idea is an idea. You know? Your idea is good as your execution. Agreed. Yeah? If you can own 20% of a billion dollars or yeah. 80% of a million dollars, I'd rather own 20% of a billion yeah, dollars. Agreed. Right? Agreed. So don't be greedy in equity. Share and just ask. There are so many... There's so much money in the world. Yeah, there is. You just have to have a good business plan, good track record, good yeah. name, integrity, and yeah. you'll be fine. And, and at the end of the day, you're only doing that because you believe in yourself that you can execute, and then you'll be able to pay back that loan quite easily if, if you're you bold and confident and you if can you execute. If you can execute. <laughs> Make right, sure Mom, you can execute. <laughs> that was amazing, dude. Thank you so thank much. You, thank you. Cheers, thank you cheers. for having me, Chris. Yep, yep. Hope you guys enjoyed that. <laughs>